My son is taking piano lessons right now, just getting started, and it reminds me of when I first took piano lessons and began to learn the, the basics of music. In addition to key signature and time signature, there are other musical notations that you learn that add to the richness of the music you are playing, like crescendo. Crescendo is a mark that lets those playing or singing know to gradually sing or play louder so that the music begins to swell and to build. Well, Easter Sunday for me was a worship crescendo. I, got, uh, I told Ben and Jesse that on our staff call uh, this week, that that morning just felt like a glorious swelling of worship. I got there early, and it was uh, still early light. No one was there. Things were quiet and, and still. I began setting some things up, and then the sun came up, and some people began to arrive to help set up, and soon there were flowers added to the cross gradually and, and decorations to the outside of the church space, and then um, the band started practicing, and then coffee preparation, and then people began to flood into the parking lot, and, uh, and then worship began with that Easter declaration that Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed, and then music started, and everyone was singing collectively. It was a crescendo of worship, where we just got lost in wonder and, and love and praise, giving God all the glory. Revelation is a picture of a crescendo of worship. It reveals worship from a heavenly perspective. And right now, that's what we're doing. We're looking at how Revelation reveals uh, uh, or uncovers things, how it provides a heavenly perspective on our earthly reality and comforts and challenges us to live faithfully now in light of the end. And central to how we do this is through worship, where we embody and enact the truth that Jesus, the crucified and risen one, sits on the throne and not us. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, grow us and transform us, that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. We're reading this morning from Revelation, um, the fifth chapter, beginning with the eighth verse. Listen for God's word. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each held a harp and gold bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They took up a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain, and by your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will rule on earth. Then I looked and I heard the sound of many angels surrounding the throne, the living creatures and the elders. They numbered in the millions, thousands upon thousands. They said in a loud voice, Worthy is the slaughtered lamb to receive power and wealth, wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. I heard everything everywhere say, Blessing, honor, glory and power belong to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and always. And the four living creatures said, 
Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, first it's the four living creatures around the throne, and then it's the 24 elders who fall down and they start singing together. And then it's the sound of many angels around the throne, and then it's the living, all living creatures joining in. We're in the millions now. Then it's every creature on earth and under the earth and in the sea, literally all creation joining in worship. It's a crescendo, a building, a swelling, magnificent, glorious scene. I can only imagine John himself was lost in this moment, lost in wonder, love, and praise, caught up in this worship. He's already written about the dazzling brightness of Jesus, brighter than the sun. He's already written that he's received a revelation, an apocalypse from Jesus, and he's going to be sharing God's perspective on things with seven churches. So in chapters 2 and 3, John writes to these churches individually, and what he writes to them makes a difference in how we understand the vision of worship that comes right after that. So here's what Jesus tells John to say to the churches. Ephesus, your endurance and the faithfulness of your work is amazing. You don't put up with evil, but it saddens me to see that you've let go of the love that you had at first. So do the things you did at first. Smyrna, I know the hardship and poverty you're experiencing. People are saying insulting things about you. Don't be afraid. Stay strong. Stay faithful, even in the midst of prison or death. Pergamum, you're you're living right now where Satan's throne is. You're holding on even still, even though one of my witnesses was killed. However, you're you're following some false teaching, so, so change your hearts and lives. Theatira, I, I see your faithful love, your, your faithful works, your love, your endurance. That's amazing. But you've put up with a woman who is a false prophet. She's misleading people. Don't follow her. Sardis, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're really dead inside. Wake up and strengthen whatever you have left. Up on your feet. Take a breath. Come alive. Your works are far from over. Philadelphia, you, you have so little power, and yet you have kept my word. I can see I've seen what you've done, now look what I've done. I've opened a door before you that no one can shut. Laodicea, I know you inside and out, and you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but worse, you're lukewarm. You say you're rich and you don't need anything. You don't realize that you're actually poor, blind, pathetic, and naked. Change, find, find life in me. With those very prophetic words to these seven churches, John is once again In Revelation, he's transported to the heavenly throne room scene, the center of the universe, and he describes God sitting on the throne, and there's thunder and lightning coming out of the throne, echoing uh, images to God in the Old Testament when God is on Mount Sinai, or God appears in the the tabernacle. And there are elders and, and four strange living creatures who apparently never stop singing holy, holy, holy to God. John sees a a scroll in the hand of God, the scroll representing God's plan to bring God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. But no one can open it. And John is devastated to the point that he's weeping, he's crying. And then the angel says, don't worry, don't worry. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, both of those very powerful messianic symbols in the Old Testament, has won so he can open it. And that's what John hears. That's not what John sees. Instead, the victorious one, the one worthy to open this this scroll, 
is a slain lamb. Jesus, victorious in his sacrificial death. When the lamb takes the scroll, that crescendo of worship begins and all heaven breaks loose. Elders and creatures and angels and all creation, all because of and directed toward God and to Jesus on the throne at the center of the universe. The Lamb shares the same worship that belongs to the one true creator, God. This is worship from a heavenly perspective. Corporate praise and honor and glory from all creation, encountering, acknowledging, and embodying the truth that Jesus Christ reigns and rules. So why would this vision of worship follow those prophetic words to seven churches? Why would, why would this be important for us and how we live now? John is taking his readers to a worshiping world where the only one on the throne is Jesus in the midst of a world where we put all kinds of other things on the throne. People, things, ourselves. Think about the context of those churches. This heavenly perspective of worship, giving praise and honor and glory to Jesus, speaks directly against the Roman world, which was offering praise and honor and glory to the Roman emperor and empire. To worship Jesus as the ultimate ruler is at the same time to dethrone the Roman world around them. Think about the earthly implications of this heavenly worship. Worthy is the slaughtered lamb to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. Wait, wait, not Rome? Not empire? Not the emperor? These are some very real daily living effects from joining that kind of worship in the midst of life under Rome. But you know, worship is always a statement of allegiance. Worship is always a statement of allegiance, always. There are implications from worship. Worship names what is worthy and dismisses competing claims for our loyalty. This heavenly view of worship asks the very earthly question, are the churches in Asia facing all, uh, all kinds of unique challenges and, and situations? Are they going to join the all heaven breaking loose, worship and sing blessing and, and honor and glory and power belong to the one seated onto the throne and to the Lamb? Or are they going to join the hell breaking loose worship of the spirit of Rome and empire and sing blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the emperor? What about us? This apocalypse of worship is crystal clear. There is one focal point when we worship. That is the one who sits on the throne. This this heavenly scene is universal agreement, literally (laughs) universal agreement that there is one and only one who sits on the throne. And it's not Rome, and it's not us, and it's not power, and it's not violence, and it's not guns, money, sex, technology, fame, career, country, political ideology. It's Jesus. And it's so easy 
to put ourselves there, though, isn't it? We like to think that we're the center of the universe, that the only problems that matter are the ones that are affecting us. It's easy when we're, when we're facing hardship or failure or in a season of content, I don't need anything, stagnation, listening to other voices. When we've lost that, that fire that we once had, it's easy to put other things on the throne too. The question is not whether we worship or not. The question is what? Why would John's prophetic word to churches be followed by this heavenly scene of of worship? Because worship shapes us. It's formational. Jesus knows what we worship determines in large part who we become. We start to look like what we worship. Every week when we gather for worship, we enact and embody the truth with our bodies, with our lips, with our Uh, with our voices, with our hearts, that we are not the ones upon the throne. Jesus, the crucified and risen one, is. Every week, our worship focuses us on who is enthroned and what he stands for, while also dethroning, dethroning what shouldn't be in charge and what they stand for. Worship, Worship is a dress rehearsal, practice, Not just for eternity, when the crescendo reaches its climax. I mean, if we can't worship now, what's eternity going to be like? Worship is practice for the week. Worship is practice for the very next day. On Sunday, when we worship and give honor and glory and praise to Jesus as the one in the center of it all, we're practicing so that we'll be able to do that the very next day. When we're confronted with all of the other things that want to be up on the throne. We do it in worship so that we can do it in our daily lives. Our habits, our choices. Living like the lamb is on the throne, even when it might look otherwise. Because what what do we do when we're like Ephesus and have lost the love we we had at first? Some of the fire for Jesus is gone. What do we do when we're like Smyrna and and experiencing all kinds of hardship? What what keeps us going and renews our strength? What do we do when we're like Pergamum, living in the midst of significant evil and temptation? What helps us keep us oriented to what is good and right? What, What do we do when we're like Theatira and need to be recalibrated to God after being lured by the hot take false teaching we saw on Facebook or cable news? What, what do we do when we're like Sardis and we feel dead and dried up and need to be EKG'd back to life? What, what do we do when, we, when we're like Philadelphia and, and we feel powerless and, and, let, and yet have remained fruitful and we just want to give thanks with others? What do we do when we're like Laodicea and we're lukewarm, stagnant, and content like we don't need God? What do we do? And the answer from a heavenly perspective from a heavenly view is unmistakable. We worship. We worship. We show up together to worship the Lamb on the throne who is infinitely worthy because of what He has done for us. Because when we join the crescendo of worship, we do the thing we did at first when we first fell in love with Jesus Christ and we wanted to worship again, praise and glory all the time. And we regain the love we had at first. 
When we join the crescendo of worship, we find strength and renewal in the times of hardship. When we join the crescendo of worship, we, we are rightly oriented and given, uh, given direction and a Christ-like gaze in the midst of all the temptations and evil we face. When we join the, the crescendo of worship, we're recalibrated, we're retuned when we get out of alignment or out of tune, being swayed by all the competing messages we, we hear. When we join the crescendo of worship, we're brought back to life after feeling drained or dead inside, like, like water for our thirsty souls. When we join the crescendo of worship, we, we gather with other people who may, may feel like that they're hanging by a thread too, just to give thanks that God has not let us go even still. When we join the crescendo of worship, we, we break the spell of lukewarm, stagnant faith and devotion, declaring that we do, in fact, desperately, desperately need God. When we join the crescendo of worship, our lives crescendo toward Jesus too. I remember the church that I grew up in used to do something on Easter Sunday that was pretty, pretty special. Um, the choir would always sing the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah at the end of the worship. And anyone from the congregation who wanted to come up and join the choir to sing could do so. And so it was as those unmistakable opening notes began on the organ, a swell of people from the congregation would go up to the choir loft and begin to sing with the choir with a worship crescendo, and he shall reign forever and ever. Alleluia, alleluia. Friends, all of us, all of us are invited to join the heavenly chorus of worship. Not just because it's an inspiring picture, of what worship will look like one glorious day. But because it shapes how we live right now. Hopefully as a people with a lamb on the throne. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.